Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Arsenal Women Arsecast on Arsblog.com. Looking at the season that was for Arsenal women that has now finished and I always think covering football seasons and being a football fan, sometimes it just makes you feel like life's going by really fast because one minute it's August or September and the next minute you're clapping the players on their lap of appreciation and obviously that's what happened with Arsenal on Saturday against Aston Villa not the result they wanted to end the season but I think we could see that they were they've been running on fumes for a little while that perhaps their their objectives were really achieved already and I think you got the sense in those last few games that they were kind of you know, taking a little bit of a breath out. But that's not really what we're going to analyse. We're going to do more of a kind of holistic review of the season that was, a season that's seen Arsenal finish third and in the final uh, Champions League qualification spot, got to the Champions League semi-final in front of a sold-out Emirates Stadium and won the Conti Cup. So uh, plenty to chew on, but not all completely positive. Um, I think we'll be critical as well and look at areas for improvement next season and not just assume that Arsenal didn't win the league solely because of injuries. Um, and here to do that with me, I'm delighted to welcome back from The Athletic, Art de Rocher. Art, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for having me again. I hope everyone's season has been well. And yeah, hopefully there's enough time to kind of refresh before I was going to say August, but in reality, it's July. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, exactly. With the Women's World Cup and, um, you know, Arsenal will be starting their season in the first weekend of September, even though the WSL starts a few weeks later because of the Champions League qualifying and all of that. But there'll be plenty of time to talk about that over the summer. Um, we're going to take a little bit of a backwards look at the season that was in 2022-23. And I think I can't really remember a season like this in terms of just the amount of stuff that happened, for want of a better phrase. But Art, just your absolute overall kind of impression of uh, this season for Arsenal women. Yeah, kind of similar to um, your, I guess, introduction in that I feel like the squad probably got as far as they could given the context of everything. I remember being sat in the press box watching the second leg against Wolfsburg and just thinking... And this was when it was still two all on the night, and I was just thinking, how would they actually fare if they got through? I I don't want to put that energy out there, but it just felt like it would take another monumental effort to even be really competitive if they got to the final. So um, I thought what they did um, kind of achieve throughout the season was respectable obviously a few areas where they could have maybe done a little bit better um but on the whole I thought it was a season where there was progress from last year I think you can look back um 12 months ago and say Arsenal are are in a better place than they were this time last year under Jonas Edeval and their foundations are stronger I'd say um so that's kind of how I've viewed um, the season as a whole. Yeah, definitely. And we'll talk a little bit about some of those foundations later based on what Jonas told us last May on the last game of the season. He gave us some really interesting stuff about where he thinks the team should go next. Um, and, you know, in terms of playing out from high pressure and playing those games against the the junior boys teams. And he's, he's kind of got another... Um, you know, I guess, mission uh, in mind for next season. We might come on to that a bit later, but something a little bit more immediate that unfortunately we need to deal with on the podcast. Um, I, this was an incredibly awkward story for me to work on. 
Um, but the, the the story that broke um, last week um, about Hafaeli leaving, which was obviously all uh, confirmed subsequently, and I know you asked Jonas about that, um, and I think it was very telling when he said our recruitment needs to be good uh, there, and I think he said something you asked him about. No, was it you or someone else who asked him about having a left footer yeah. at centre-back? Yeah. <laughs> and he said that's a big column on the Excel spreadsheet um, at the moment. But, I mean, clearly a massive blow um, to Arsenal. I, I don't think there are a lot of players out there like that. And, you know, Jonas described it on Saturday to us as, you know, the, the first player he's lost that he really didn't want to lose. Um, just your impressions on... on I mean, I assume you agree that that's a big blow, but yeah. <laughs> in in terms of like her leaving and and the hole that leaves, particularly with Leah Williamson likely to be out for at least the first half of next season. No, so yeah, I was at Colney for that press conference and talking to a few people before it all got started, and the main thing was before even looking at her as as a sorry, <clears throat> before even looking at her as a centre back, she's just a really good footballer. And I think that's, um, in terms of what Jonas said, uh, given her, I guess, a bit more of a global platform to show that, um, I would never have known um, about her skills or her dribbling skills, for instance, if she wasn't at Arsenal. Um, So I think in that sense, you're losing someone who was (laughs) coming to uh, around 30 years old but played like a 22-year-old in in what they, she was doing on the pitch. Um, and then, as you mentioned, I think that left foot was so important because uh, I remember when she signed a new arts to Jonas about it and he spoke about basically the balance it gave them uh, building up and probably allowed them to be a, a lot better at um, playing out under pressure, um, which was a real kind of hindrance for them uh, in recent seasons. So... Those two aspects are really important, but also attacking-wise, I think, came up really big goals. Um, I know the one in the Conti Cup final is not officially hers, but we'll say it is um, for now. And obviously Manchester City away, uh, a few other big ones as well. Wolfsburg away. Wolfsburg away, yeah. Um, So, yeah, I think there's a massive, I guess, influence that Arsenal will be missing. Um, in terms of just an all comp- all encompassing figure, um, and hopefully they're able to find someone who can almost replicate some of those attributes. But I don't think they would be able to find someone who could cover all of those bases. Yeah, definitely. I think it's such a shame as well because the partnership between Leah Williamson and Hafaeli just looked like a really like potentially world beating one and. Leah said it herself in her kind of um, Instagram post uh, about Hafaeli leaving that she didn't feel like they got to they got to play together enough because of because of the injury situation for both players. And when you consider that when Hafa came in, she actually missed a lot of the run in from her first season she, uh, because of injury. She missed a lot of the first half of this season. So actually, for the eighteen months Arsenal have had her. She's probably only really been an active player for a bit more than half of that. And just look at the reception we all saw on Saturday. And just like when we put the story up on Ask Blog News, we're still we're over 600 quote tweets um, on that. And I read most of them and I can tell you <laughs> there was an outpouring. And that's that that is going to be a huge loss because I mean in men's football left top class mm. left footed centre backs are are very rare. I think they're even rarer in women's football. And we might have to settle for the fact that maybe we can't find um, something like that because it's so rare um, and it's such a shame. But um, you know the the, the player has uh, reasons that I, I don't need to uh, kind of go into, and I, you know very assured it's not an Arsenal thing. Um, really, it's 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 more of a, a personal thing for her. But yeah, uh, in, incredibly incredibly awkward when I got that story. Um, I'm I'm sure it was much the same for you on your side. But um, yeah, and clearly, I, I waited a long time for Arsenal to sign a Brazilian player. So Gio, it's up to you now uh, <laughs> to really pull things uh, pull things together there. So I mean, that's that's clearly that's a 
big gap that needs addressing this summer. Uh, I think we all know that, and Jonas has been very upfront about that. But where else do you think? And obviously, Arsenal are in such a weird position because they've got players injured who are going to come back. Mm. But Jonas has already been very forward about the fact that he felt the squad wasn't big enough anyway. Yeah. Because of previous, again, he's been quite upfront about what he <laughs> considers recruitment failures. Where in particular would you really like to see Arsenal strengthen in the summer? Yeah, I guess the first one is more one we all kind of know in terms of what Jonas has spoken about in terms of a prolific striker. Um, And that's not a slight or a disrespect to Stina Blackstenius because we all saw how important she was second half of the season. And to be fair to her, I think even before that, I think she was... a very, very good option. Um, So I think it's more just about competition and depth, especially if um, you want to compete in two or three competitions. And then uh, if you're looking beyond that, probably for me, that central midfield area can probably do with a bit more beefing up. And when I say that, I don't mean physicality. (laughs) I just mean depth because... Uh, yes, Leo Vorti and uh, Kim Little have both signed new contracts, but both at an age where you think, okay, what's the kind of succession plan? Um, and yeah, I think someone who can do a, a similar role, so more more akin to what Leo Vorti does, um, because I feel like that role is a bit more unique. Um, I know Kim Little is a unique player, but I just think what uh, Leo Volti does is probably just a bit more of the glue um, that holds everything together. Um, so that's kind of where my mind is at. And I remember, I'm not sure if I mentioned it on here or somewhere else, but um, the Manchester City game at Meadow Park last month, I was just what, watching Yui Hasegawa and thinking she's perfect for that role. But obviously I, I doubt that's something that would be able to happen um, just because of <laughs> the club she's at. Um, so, yeah, that's a bit unfortunate. But a player of that mould, um, I think, would be quite um, uh, good to go for. Yeah, quite. I, I think we haven't had Leo Volti back, back up, apart from maybe that season when Marlin Gutt um, yeah. was there and there was like clearly a bit of a succession plan that never happened. And I, I'm with you, like Kim um, has, you know, she's been picking up more injuries um, over the last couple of seasons, I think. And look, when the time comes, and I'm not saying like, she's only 30, 33, like yeah. she's not dead <laughs> or, or close to it. Like Kim is a player who could play for a few, like, I think she could play for another three or four years easily at the top level if she wanted to. However, whether she can do every minute of every game, um, you know, and look, when that time comes, we're not going to get another Kim Little. It's going to have to be like someone else. Maybe that's Catherine Cool, who's similar type of player, but different. Like you can't just buy the same player, um, you know, plug in and go. Maybe it'll be Victoria Pullova. Maybe that's, you know, like the, there are options, but I, I agree with you. I think that's that's a weak point in the squad, particularly again without Leah Williamson for the first half of next season, because she's kind of been the de facto backup to Leah Volti. And now neither of them are there. Um, and, and uh, you know, I think there have been some interesting developments as well. We'll, we'll cover it a bit later, the move to the back three, but that kind of midfield box, Mm. that Arsenal have been playing um, with that back three. And I I still wonder if we might still see that midfield box shape, even if it doesn't have a back three behind it um, next season as the next part of the evolution. Definitely, definitely a striker um, is needed. I know they retain a very strong interest in Alessio Russo. I don't know exactly how that's going to shake out, but the interest there is, is still pretty strong. Uh, because Stina played is the only player actually that played in every single game this season, and and clearly as well she does such a physically demanding job um, in terms of the run she makes and everything. So I, I think that's clearly clearly very high on uh, on the club's kind of particularly you know they brought in Jody Taylor for six weeks. That's kind of it's going to sound disparaging, and I don't mean it, but when I say that's how kind of desperate 
Jonas mm. was, but extra firepower. Like he he really you know wanted another striker, so that that's clearly not going away. I think Gio is probably going to go out on loan, um, and maybe we'll see Chloe Lacasse come in. But yeah, I I I wouldn't mind seeing a defensive midfielder who can perhaps play centre half okay. as well, because I think. The issue we had when we had Marlene Gutt, for example, is she's really good. But if Leo Volt is fit, she, like you don't play, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so a, a bit like we've seen on the men's side, right? If yeah. you've got guys who can fill in, who aren't your first choice 11, but they fill in for three or four, two or three different roles, then they stay closer to the team. And we're going to have an issue at centre-half that may be a bit temporary until Leo comes back. So, yeah, I, I think some of that optionality... Mm-hmm. Um, would be really, really nice. But so let's, let's talk about a player who, you know, maybe we found um, this season who at the end of last season was finding football minutes, pretty difficult to come by in the Arsenal team. Uh, Freedom Mornham was voted as player of the season. I don't think anyone really contests that. Uh, She started 29 of Arsenal's last 30 games. Uh, and I think it's something like 33 of the last, no, 32 of the last 34 or something like that, that she started and one that she didn't start. She played the second half against Leeds in the Cup. So she's really, really backed up the minutes this year. But I guess um, just your impressions of her season and, you know, who who else might have been in the running for player of the season for you? Yeah, before I start on this season, I think the talent's always been very clear I remember being at the Everton game last season so this would have been I guess a couple October, months October yeah October 21. um and she just pinged it in from about 25 yards so um the quality's always been clear I just think this season obviously with I guess first it was just the competition for the place of the number 10 and being a little bit of a different option um, to Vivian Miedema, you you saw her being used in a little bit of a different way. I think maybe she was just more confident as well. Um, and from there, you see, I guess everyone will see the goals and the, the goal tally as the defining thing, but I feel she's been very complete in what she's done this season in terms of so clean technically. Um for her height, I think she's so good in those tight um, spaces. But then also she's very aggressive when she, when Arsenal need her to be aggressive. Um, so I think her all-round game has just really um, lended itself to what Jonas Ederval wants his Arsenal team to look like and to be. Last season, that happened with Beth Mead and it's just happened with a different player this season. And she's been able to explode because of that. Um, so yeah, and then in terms of other players, it's really difficult because I feel like obviously Who's been fit? <laughs> yeah, you, you can't go down that route. And but to be fair, um, I, I can't really look past Katie McCabe just because of in moments she's grabbed the opportunity so often and she's done it for years, so it's not really anything new to, to people who are watching, but. It's just another reminder of, I guess, football isn't just about kicking the ball from A to B. There's so much mentally that goes into it. Um, And that little, um, I guess, window of three or four days between um, picking up the injury against Bayern and then scoring the winner and performing ridiculously well against Man City, um, I think that probably sums up Katie McCabe in a nutshell, really. Um, and it's been quite nice to see her get the armband um, in the recent weeks as well. I know circumstances aren't great, but to have a bit of that recognition um, going into this little run-in, I think was nice. Yeah, definitely. And I know we spoke to her after that City game and um, you tried unsuccessfully to get a picture of her boot with the hole in it still from <laughs> from Wednesday night. Like it sounded like she didn't even have ch- a chance to consider a change of boots. Or, But I, I think you're right. I think Katie's someone who the harder it gets, the more she likes it. If that yeah. sounds uh, like the more challenging the season got, like she's just one of those players who just 
almost almost likes maybe even needs mm. that kind of challenge um you know yeah. and i remember like you know we've signed some big left backs and left wingers over the years and you kind of start to think oh what's katie's and katie like responds mm. every time um and yeah i think she's been great i i think another player i'd like to touch on as well um i, I don't think you could put her up for player of the season because she only joined in january but victoria palova um and i was really interested in something jonas said when i i asked him i don't know about a month ago i kind of said look you played her on the right like in that Beth Mead role, she's played all over this midfield box shape as the right 10, as the right six. And I kind of said, do you have a position for her in mind? And I thought his answer was fascinating because he referenced Frieda Mornham and he said, like, I didn't actually think Frieda would be a 10. He said, first of all, she just played and trained so well that he thought, I've got to get her into the team somehow. And if that means moving someone out of the way, that's what I'm going to do. But he also said, if you just looked at her data, you'd never put her as a number 10 because she's yeah. never been a big goal scorer, but now she's become one. And he was talking about getting players 23 and under and kind of saying, sometimes you've just got to take a little bit of time to look at their attributes and decide exactly where you fit them in later. And it, it, it kind of... In explaining that, I think that's kind of what he's saying about Victoria Pelova, that it's kind of like, actually, I like the attributes of the player. I'll work out the position <laughs> later, you know. And Very um, Arsene Wenger-like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I thought it was fascinating as well because I definitely get locked into that squad building thinking of like, again, on the men, men's and women's side, it's like, you know... It, Look, we were having a discussion about Kim Little, right? Right, we need another Kim Little to do what Kim Little does. <laughs> and that's that's rarely how it works. What you do is you get another player who has different qualities and you go from there. And, uh, and, and it was really interesting for him to say, actually, I don't really have a role in mind for at the moment. I'm just going to let her play. And, you know, if she forces her way in, I'll figure it out later. But j- just your kind of opinion of, of what she's brought to the team since she joined. Yeah, she looks... Um, I I hope this comes across uh, in a way that people can understand it. But she looks like an Arsenal player. Absolutely, yep. Um, in terms of being comfortable in whatever situation you put her in, I think the first few games, obviously, you kind of just have to find your feet a little bit and just make sure you make the right passes. <laughs> but then... With each kind of week, especially, I think she mentioned it after the Bayern game, with each week that passed, you saw her become a bit more confident and then play riskier passes and also just try try things on the ball. Um, and she's someone who, when I'm watching her play, I'm just like, okay, uh, impress me. Because <laughs> something is going to happen. Um, I remember... At the Emirates, um, it was very. It was a very kind of tricky first five or so minutes, and then she does a little nutmeg on the halfway line, and the stadium just is up. Um, so little moments like that, and just yeah, weight of pass, eye for a pass as well, which is the main thing. Uh, just seems like a very Arsenal player, and when it comes to the position stuff, it. And I know we've mentioned this a thousand times, but. The crossover between men's and women's at the minute is actually quite ridiculous because I feel looking on the men's side of things, I feel like there's a similar thing with Smithrow at the minute because um, he's someone who's so unique and a very Arsenal player that I, I think you can just throw him on anywhere and he'll be all right. Um, whether that will happen, I don't know. <laughs> but um, I, I, I just think players like that are invaluable to a team like Arsenal, who are so possession oriented, uh, orientated. Sorry, um, and hopefully um, next season we'll be able to see more of that. Yeah, definitely. I, you know, I, I guess I, I was thinking more like Pelova Trossard feels like. Oh no, yeah, of, yeah. The, sorry, that's probably crossover. a better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but you know, just someone who you're comfortable with anyway. I think my assessment of Pelova is she's a small space player. She mm. loves that. Um, she, she might, she's got a little bit of DVD about her in that, like, 
she likes to feel the player in her back. Like she likes that kind of yeah. that contest, that small space. And as far as Arsenal are concerned, it just depends where those smaller spaces are. So for example, for Arsenal, like on the left wing, we tend to have a lot of those smaller spaces and someone like Caitlin Ford, um, who I voted for um, as player of the season, not that I have like an issue with Frieda getting it, but, <laughs> but Caitlin is, is just one of those key players just because she gets that. Yeah, you know, and she, Yeah, exactly. And the way she dribbles and takes players on, she's almost like in the structure, but out of it at the same time. You need those attackers who are a bit different. And uh, I, I think Pelova could do that. Uh, could yeah. easily do that on either flank, but we could easily, you know, see her in like central midfield. I, I just think she, she's quite Kim as well. She likes those small spaces. She almost, she's another one who on the ball wants and needs to be challenged so she can go past you, so she can clash. And yeah, you said she's an Arsenal player. I, I agree. I think like Frida, she's a she's a Jonas player. Yeah, um, that's how, that's how I'd I'd characterize her, and I can see why. Um, he brought her in, especially having seen her up close um, playing for Ajax. But um, I, I, I guess that's a reasonable segue into just before we go into a break. Some of um, some of the things that we saw in the final few weeks of the season, when personnel-wise the squad was completely disrupted, completely broken, and you know the move to the back three, which Jonas then said a couple of weeks ago that he had actually started the work on in January on the training ground. So he always had it in his mind that he'd like to be able to do that. But, you know, I, I think with the best will in the world, we probably know that Jen Beattie can't really play in a back four anymore. So putting her in the middle of a back three, that that struck, that plays into all of her qualities. But yeah, ju- just first of all, on the tactical side, moving to that back three and, you know, I guess the optionality that that gives Arsenal for next season. Yeah, so I guess Jonas um, revealing that came from uh, a little comment he made in a press conference where he said he had to find different ways to think and find solutions. And then I just asked him, how do you actually do that? <laughs> um, and and thankfully, he actually went into like amazing detail in terms of them starting to do that in January when the Brighton game got postponed. And I guess from there, once you do it a few times in training, not because they felt they were actually going to use it, but just as another option, you're more ready to do it when the time comes. And obviously they trialed it first against Man City in the Conti Cup and it went well. Tried it again a few days later and it didn't go as well. But it was in their back pocket and that's what you want, I think. Um, Just something different that you can... um, Opposed to an opposition team that will throw them off a little bit. And it definitely did that when they did it again against Manchester City at Meadow Park halfway through the second half. I think Katie McCabe, Freedom Marden were just giving them so many issues so quickly. Um, and that's where the corner came from for Katie McCabe's winner. So um, I think just from that perspective, it's quite interesting to see I guess the fruits of the labour come in quite quickly. And then obviously once uh, Leah Williamson uh, got her injury, it was kind of, okay, we're just going to stick with this. Um, But yeah, I think going into next season, um, are we interested to see, I guess fitness-wise, what they can do when, say, Beth, uh, Vivian Miedemann, Kim Little and Leah Walty are all back? Because those profiles... I don't think you can maybe do exactly the same thing. Um, so, yeah, a lot of it at the minute is, I don't want to say unknown, but I guess the dilemma is now, do you revert to what was a very clear plan, A, at the start of the season, or do you kind of find a new, um, a new um, system, which is maybe a little bit of both, or... Do you just say, okay, that is going to be for when we need it? <laughs> um, so I think those are the kind of the interesting thoughts and discussions that may take place in the summer. Yeah, yeah. That that kind of midfield box shape where there's two sixes and two tens, I fancy we'll see that 
somehow. Um, exactly what it looks like, I don't know. But, you know, Arsenal and Man City men, for example, they kind of do that in possession, but they do it by sticking one of their back four mm-hmm. into one of the, like either Zinchenko or John Stones and you get that box and that that's a very like that's a very big thing in football at the moment and I think that suits players like Pelova like Frieda Mornham uh I think I'd definitely suit Kim Little like I yeah I, I'm intrigued by that a little bit and I think you make a good point there again we <laughs> I'm gonna make that uh, kind of a historic comparison to the men's team but it, it reminds me a bit of when Arsenal under Arsene Wenger got to the Champions League final in 2006 with a 4-5-1 and then the next season came and Arsenal kind of went backwards and forth. Not not brilliantly, yeah. it must be said. Percy. Yeah, yeah. They started experimenting with it and using it in big games. And I, it, that never really took off. But yeah, because you can get caught between the two stalls as well, I think. Yeah. So it'd be really interesting to see how fluidly um, we go. But, but I also think the Man City home game is a great example because... I think that is the big difference between Arsenal and Manchester City. Under Gareth Taylor, Manchester City do not change. They do not change in game. They don't sub any of their front three because they don't have a lot of depth there. Like They do what they do what they do for 90 minutes of every single game. And I think you're right. We surprise them. And that's literally the reason Arsenal finished above Manchester City. (laughs) (laughs) That game decided it in the end. And that tactical switch won Arsenal the game. So I, I think that's like the perfect illustration of why Arsenal got into that third space, uh, third place um, at the end of the day. So, yeah, I, I'm really intrigued um, to see how that comes out next season. Yeah, one, one thing on that is just like positionally, and I know people probably think oh, positions, 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 but okay, how does Freedom Island play with... Vivian Miedema. Mm-hmm. I would like to know how that goes. Where does Beth Mead fit in with a box? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> does she does she go back central? Is she uh, a striker again after how many years? Maybe four or five years. So these are all things where I'm just thinking, how do you actually decide on what to yeah, do? Yeah. Um, so yeah, very very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's a fine line between being muddled and being being fluid. But I look at I look at Chelsea and they've got it nailed. Unfortunately, that tactical I say mm-hmm. unfortunately it's very unfortunate that kind of tactical fluidity, that ability to use different players in different spaces, and I think that's where Jonas Eideval probably wants to go. But We'll take a break at this point uh, and there will be more reflecting on the 22-23 season right after this. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Okay, so thanks for rejoining us. Um, Let's perhaps uh, kind of finish off by looking at some of the specifics, particularly in the towards the end of the season. And I know you asked... um, Jonas, a lot of questions about Arsenal's progress as a Champions League outfit. That's somewhere where Arsenal have clearly made progress. Pretty much all of the Champions League performances have been an improvement on last season, bar Hoffenheim at home, which I think Jonas kind of talked about as a touchstone performance, whereas that has kind of carried on. Um, But just, I guess, um, some of those big wins this season, some of those highlights, like the Conti Cup final, like Leon away and Bayern, and just, I guess, Arsenal's progress as as a cup team, maybe, or as a force in Europe, and your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I, I feel like there's been very clear, um, almost checkpoints that they've hit um, in the past two seasons. Um, and I guess this year, the the main, I guess, areas for improvement were being able to make decisions more quickly um, in those Champions League games, those big games. And then also... Um, what we discussed earlier in terms of finding different ways to to play against teams. And I think the Bayern Munich game stands out for me both legs because I felt even though they lost the first leg, the belief was there. And also they were fairly dominant in that game. Fairly is probably an understatement. (laughs) Um, But very... Though that game was very similar, I feel, to the Conti Cup final um, against Chelsea, where Bayern started ridiculously well in the first five minutes, as did Chelsea. Um, and you saw a team in real time have to wrestle with that, um, I guess, power. How do you get that power and control back? And that's where you see how important Kim Little is, because... I think to make it seem a bit more simple than it actually was, um, keep the ball and maybe an extra pass in that little deep area when you're playing out. And you just get a little bit more time. And I think that's really a really important part of how Arsenal were able to perform in those cup competitions and um, manage those moments. So that's the the real step I think we've seen in in those big games how they manage particular moments that aren't going their way um and then obviously you've got um the impact of them physically being able to uh be a lot more intense because of the groundwork that's been done last summer um in terms of what we spoke about in uh, with Jonas's mission, if we'll call it that, um, last year in terms of training with the academy boys. So I think there was a mix of uh, football, physical related things, and then also mentally, um, how do you um, change approach when necessary? Yeah, absolutely. And I wanted to come on to the mental aspect. I think particularly um, of the Conti Cup final win and like I think without that the Bayern win doesn't happen and um you know you're in the room as well when Jonas said like a good process only sustains you for so long sooner or later you need results mm-hmm. for the kind of um belief of the group I mean how much do you think Arsenal can take that forward into next season or is that just like a temporary set of jump cables that that will need to be kind of re-established again at the beginning of next season I think it will be a mixture of the two. So when we talk about these, um, I guess, checkpoints, Barcelona away is one of those. And it's a negative, I guess, experience. But it's one that feeds into how do we get better. Um, So I feel like it will be one of those moments that sticks and makes you, I guess, have that inner self-belief. Um, to say, okay, next year, we've been through this already, we can do this. Um, And it was interesting, actually, um, before the Wolfsburg game, talking to Lotta with Moy, she mentioned the um, Chelsea FA Cup game a week before the Conti Cup, where they lost, and how um, that was actually quite a a big moment inside the dressing room. Um, So I think that there are going to be new moments there's going to be a Conti Cup final type moment next year at some point Um, but this I guess was really important for the last two months of this season and maybe it can be what gives them that real confidence in themselves as well because I know speaking in the mix center Rafael Leovolti as well they said that was coming and um, that it helps, I guess, having something tangible there, as as Jonas said. Yeah, absolutely. The the night before that Conti Cup final, um, I had a conversation 
with someone who was who's asking me about that final and I, I, I said I thought Arsenal have to win. I think it was such a, a sliding doors moment for maybe like the Yona side of our project. And mm-hmm. I thought he phrased it very, very well as he usually does. Um, you know, in, in saying that like a uh, every good process only sustains you for so long. And, uh, and I really felt like you saw in that final as well. I know. So I didn't entirely agree with Emma Hayes kind of old day. Look, Emma Hayes phrased it in, um, I think a, a fairly unfair way, but she just lost the final, and most managers are, are not particularly fair when that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so and she, but she kind of referenced the extra hunger. I, I felt like that was a slightly unfair framing in that I think Arsenal just out, outplayed Chelsea, but there was more than a kernel of truth in it. I felt like this final for Arsenal was make or break in a way it wasn't. Um, for Chelsea, I mean, for you, how important was it just on the mental side for Arsenal to end that trophy hoodoo and for it to be against Chelsea? I think the big, the biggest thing was the changes Emma Hayes was forced to make in the first half. I think that more than anything, yes, the goals and the way they played were great. Um, but that almost, I think, just gave them a bit of assurance in what they were doing was right um, and that they could just keep going. And that second half, I don't really... A few counter-attacks, but it was comfortable. Mm. Um, and I think when you're in that moment and you have such a clear, I guess, message that what you're doing is right, you can only go one way with that. So... Yes, I, I do think it was a massive day um, in terms of mentally, it just all clicked into gear. And then you see from that, even with such a decimated squad, they're able to produce what they've produced. So um, I guess that was probably the kickstarter for what we're talking about now in terms of how they were able to respond to adversity in so many different uh, games and just max out what was um, uh, the potential for their season. Yeah. And, you know, we spoke a bit earlier as well about uh, one of Jonas's mission statements for this season at the end of last season was about being able to play out much better from high pressure. And he said on Saturday, I think we've mastered that in a really good way. He said on Saturday, his mission for next season, he referred to it as game craft. Um, So he said, and again, I, unfortunately, I look at Chelsea here when he says this, but it's he was like, look, those games where it's a rubbish pitch, you're away from home, the referee's bad, perhaps you've had a Champions League game in, in the week before, and just finding a way to win those games. Um, and for me, I think a big part of that, one of the things I want to get your view on this, I'm really interested in, is assuming that Arsenal have a good summer transfer window and the squad does get bigger and there's more options. I'm really intrigued to see how Jonas uses a squad because in his first season, he didn't really rotate. And I think that's probably just because he didn't trust um, enough of the squad. And this season, he couldn't rotate because of injuries. So let's go to La La Land uh, (laughs) where the summer transfer window is really good. All the injured players come back fine. There's a squad of 23-24 next season. How do, how do you see that going? Do you think Jonas is the type of manager that can and will rotate out of choice? Out of choice is the big mm-hmm. thing. I think we've seen it in little driplets. Mostly, I guess, the prime example would be at right back with um, yep. uh, Laura and Noel. Um which unfortunately he can't do for the first <laughs> half of next season. Because I think in in Laura's case, one, the Euros would have been a really big, I guess, step for her. And then also just for a viewing point as well, because she proved that she could do the job and do it so well, um, despite not being um, on the favoured country, say, um, so, um, going into next season, I would 
I would feel, especially in those attacking areas, there are now options where if you want to play a certain way, you go with this set of players. If you want to play a different way, you go with that set of players. I think that is there. Um, but, and it's a very important but, is what types of games suit those players as well. I think mm. that will be that will be the major kind of dilemma uh, for Jonas, um, just because when you look at the, um, I guess the partnerships he's gone with this year, some of them have been quite game dependent, um, and it'd just be interesting to find out which players suit each other uh, when everyone's fit, because not everyone's had a chance to actually play with each other yet. Yeah, that, that's a really good point about right back. I think also we're seeing a goalkeeper yeah. um, as well in bringing in Sabrina D'Angelo and, and having that. Going back is one of the first questions I ever asked Jonas when he joined was because Joe liked to rotate the goalkeeper based on how, uh, I think it was, he had Pauline Perry-Mannion and, Zins, and, uh, uh, yeah, and Zinsberger and he rotated them on the basis that Pauline Peru Mannion had better long distribution, Manu better short. And so his idea was if teams are going to press, I'll get Pauline to go over the top of them. If they're not, Manu can knock the ball around that kind of back four. So it's kind of interesting that it looks like we've got a similar model here. And I think Sabrina D'Angelo, in terms of coming off her line as well, basically what's really interesting to me is she's kind of almost the exact opposite um of Manu Zinsberger and together if somehow you could smush them together you'd have like the best goalkeeper in women's football history (laughs) it's kind of like the whole um a couple years ago on the men's side the whole striker um thing was basically Arsenal wanted a blend of Albamian's qualities and Lacazette's qualities um and I guess now we're talking about similar sort of themes in the women's uh, team. Um, my my way of looking at it would be, I guess, how imposing do you need to be in a game? Um, if we're talking about just outfielders, and you could maybe get goalkeepers involved in terms of how far they push up. Um, do you want to control the game with possession or do you want to control it with intensity? Um, so I think... Some players will obviously lend themselves to um, one of those attributes a lot more than the other one. Yeah, and again, we maybe saw a glimpse of that when Frieda came into the team when Viv Miedema wasn't injured. Yeah. And uh, he picked her away at Leon, and I asked him about that. And he said, like, Frieda's one of our best runners. And we knew we weren't going to have the ball all the time. And I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, like, I wanted someone to run. look with the best will in the world that's probably not Viv (laughs) but it's but it's Frida and I think that's a that's a brilliant example actually of like yeah this is Leon away we need something different um here and 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 yeah maybe that is a sign of that kind of maybe he has gone to that increasing optionality um perhaps more than I've given him credit for there but um let, let's finish off with a couple of kind of quick fire questions. <laughs> I'm going to ask you for your, I mean, I, I'll title it f- favorite game, but maybe the most interesting or intriguing, or maybe just your favorite, the, the game that really sticks out for you this season. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's unfortunate, but we've already mentioned it um, a few times. Um, and it's the Man City home game. I just <laughs> feel like if you could bottle up, one 90 minutes to sum up what Arsenal have been about um, this season, that would be it. Um, And what kind of takes it to another level for me is, um, so when Bunny Shaw scored in, what, two, five minutes? Yeah. I I don't know what you were like, but personally I was just like, okay, that's that's it. Yep. (laughs) Um, It's going to be like 3-0 and that's that. but as the game went, again, very, it was almost like an out of body experience. You just saw everything changing in real time. And it was just a really, um, really nice example of a lot of what you mentioned earlier in terms of 
um, that flexibility being beneficial to Arsenal, but also, I guess, it brought, and I don't mean this as like a, a dig or anything, <laughs> but you saw Manchester City's goal scorer and Arsenal's goal scorers, and we all know what happened um, yeah. after that. So um, it's quite fitting, I think, that that was the game that swung it. Um, so, yeah, that's my favourite. It, it was my favourite game of the season. Yeah, yeah. I, and, and I think, like I said earlier, in the end, that gets Arsenal third. It just does. It's as simple as that. Uh, I'm going to go... My favourite game, I'm going to go for Leon away. Um, I mean, really, my favourite game was the Conti Cup final because beating Chelsea in a final was always going to yeah. be the highlight of the season. But I'm going to go for Leon just because if you had told me this time last year that Arsenal would win 5-1 away at Leon, And look, I think there is a slight caveat about Leon's injury situation at the time. However, Arsenal had a similar injury situation when they played Bayern Munich and Wolfsburg and they did not lose 5-1. So, you know, I don't think it takes that much away from that result. But I just think that built the whole Champions League run. Um, I really do. I think that result was the set of jump cables that made this team think, wow, we're a team, we can do this. And actually, they played slightly differently. They were prepared to not have the ball and hit Leon on the break. And it was one of those... Um, I can't remember, were you out there for that game? I wasn't, no. Uh, I think I might have been uh, on holiday. Charlotte, Charlotte yeah. Harper was out there, um, uh, French speaker uh, for the Athletics. Yes. <laughs> so that, that makes some sense. But I mean, the, the press box at Leon's really high up. And uh, I've, forgive me, um, regular listeners, I've told this story a few times before. Three minutes into the game, I took a photo of the pitch because I was like, I can't believe how much space Leon are leaving in the wide area. Like, <laughs> both their fullbacks were like up here and it was just Wendy Renard. And because of their injuries, they had a 17 year old center back as well. And like, it was one of those things where I was like, surely they're going to close this up. But I tweeted <laughs> like, I was like semi excited about it. I was like, Arsenal are going to look for these spaces. Yeah. I was trying to be tactful in case, but in my mind, I was thinking, if they keep doing that, we're going to beat them. I still didn't think we'd beat them 5-1. <laughs> um, but, you know, Caitlin Ford score, like the first goal was literally Beth Mead crossing it to Caitlin Ford. And, you know, even when Leon got back in that game, Arsenal score again before half time. And I think Leon's belief went with that. That's another game you referenced Chelsea in the Conti Cup final. Leon made a substitution on 30 minutes. And I think that does give you confidence as a team to to keep going and Frieda scores and basically keeps her place for the rest of the season on the back of that. I just think so much was built on that victory. Um, and yeah, and for me, th th there have been, there have been some real highs this season, but th that, that one was a kind of, I spoke to someone who watches Leon regularly and they said, oh, they're defending terribly at the moment. I think this might be like a two-all, three-all type game. And I was like, oh, I'd take that. That'd be really good. <laughs> and, uh, and obviously we got the line share of goals and, and it kind of was a 5-1 game. Like it wasn't mm -hmm. smash and grab like Arsenal made those chances. Consistent pressure. Exactly. And the goals came consistently throughout the game. So I, I thought that was a magnificent performance and it, and it really built a lot of what were the good things that this season was based on. But, okay, I'm going to ask you for your favourite goal this season. I, I Is it going like... to be in the same game? <laughs> <laughs> it, it really could be. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to go with one three days before that. And I think it's going to yes. be... I, I don't think you get a more Jonas Edeval Arsenal goal than Frieda Marnham's against Bayern. Mm -hmm. Just from, not just the goal itself, if if people still have time, <laughs> rewind maybe 30 seconds before the ball hits the net and Bayern are trying to play out, um, play out from the back and Arsenal just suffocate them. Leah Williamson just there. Mm. <laughs> and... Um, from there, you get the one-touch passes and then the finish straight into the top bin. And again, I was quite lucky where the press box was. I was almost like right behind the strike. And you, see, and you just see it. It was so top bin. It was, it was literally postage stamp territory. 
and me and I sat next to uh, sat next to Michael Cox. We just kind of grabbed each other. It was that sort of moment. So I, I don't think I could choose another goal because it was so unique and again summed up so much of what um, Jonas wants this Arsenal team to be about. Yeah, I remember Michael's tweet after that. He described and man who watches a lot of football at a lot of levels. <laughs> he tweeted it was the most top corner goal he's ever seen. <laughs> and and I think yeah, I think like like when it literally doesn't even go all the way into the net, it's like yeah. right under the <laughs> the the crossbar post uh, connection. And yeah, like I I think essentially there were really only two goals that we we could really. <laughs> I mean, there were other good goals. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. There, were, there were clearly going to be two goals. That was one of them. Um, so to save you talking about the Man City game again, I'm going to say Katie yeah. McCabe against Manchester City. <laughs> N- not just because it's a brilliant goal. Look, we've seen Katie do that, you know, well into the double figures mm. um, for Arsenal. But sometimes it's about when you do it as well. And and actually, not, not a league-winning goal, but, you know, she scores one at Birmingham the year Arsenal yeah. did win the league. And similar moment in terms of what Arsenal's actual target was at that point similar importance but um you know we Arsenal played well in that game like you said they came back into it but it's not like they were creating loads and loads of chances it needed that it needed that kind of someone just to step up and look we know Frida can hit them we know (laughs) Katie can hit them and and for her to do it as well I just think the symbolic importance of her doing it on the foot that (laughs) that was in the boot (laughs) a protective boot like three days before and she still got she still had the hole in her boot from where she went off against Bayern like the kind of the symbolic importance of that I think as well is 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 not lost on anyone so I'm going for for Katie against Manchester City um and clearly that's the goal that gets us Champions League as well she should have just last take the picture man (laughs) yeah I know I know that would have been absolutely iconic but um yeah, yeah, she had to run, but it, yeah. I it mean, actually, um, it reminded me of Emma Mitchell's goal against Man City. From yes. the title. Like, I, I didn't want to say it for obvious reasons yeah. um, at the time, but it was very similar in terms of just the game in the balance and then like that, it's, it, it's in Arsenal's favour. So um, now the season's done, I feel free to say that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and and I think like the celebration as well is is possibly the image of the season where Katie runs over to the bench and she told us afterwards I wanted to share that with, like she said, the players on the bench, like both the players who were injured and the player because she just felt like it had been such a squad effort this season. Like Jen Beatty ticked to over a thousand minutes this weekend. Nobody would have predicted that. Um, back in September and and so for her to decide in the moment to celebrate it in that way I think also shows you something about you know her her sense of leadership um, as well and she's really had to step into that role without the two captains there so yeah I, I think that that turned out to be certainly one of the moments and certainly for me probably the best image um, of this season but uh, that was really good fun uh, going back <laughs> over uh, particularly some of the high moments and some of the really significant moments um, and you know with a with maybe a look to next season and what I think is going to be a pretty busy transfer window um, you know I, I, I'm I was told last summer and in January about a lot of players we were very close to that didn't happen. So <laughs> I, I don't like, I'm, I'm really, really cautious about the information, but um, yeah, I think certainly the intent um, is there, but um, that, that can all wait for another day uh, until then. Art, thanks so much for joining us again. Cheers for having me. Absolute pleasure. And we will be back with another episode, I think probably next week. Um, I've got a pretty good uh, five-star guest lined up, so I'm just kind of hammering out a final date with them. Um, but we really wanted to put out a kind of uh, a season wrap um, here. I also wrote about the season. If you prefer, to, if, if you just want to hear all of, if you just want to read all of that in text, what Art and I have been talking about for the last kind of 50-odd minutes, 
um, then that's up on Ask Blog News and obviously will be across everything that happens in the transfer window um, this summer. So keep it with Ask Blog News. We will keep a regular podcast coming dur- during the summer. But until then, thanks so much for joining us and we'll speak to you next time. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.